Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show with Restita and Robert, your source for martial arts talk radio. Dynamic Dojo Talk TV with Peter and Robert. It is the 18th of March, 2017. And as always, Bob and I strive to uh, bring great subjects and guests to the show. This is our Sunday month show. Third Sunday month, we actually air at 11 a.m. on Sunday as opposed to 6 a.m. like we normally do. And uh, so grab a cup of coffee. Grab Grab some pastries. First, I can relax and join us because we're going to be talking about procedures. How does it wait, Tojo? But I have some questions in regards to rank tests, ranking procedures, and requirements, and stuff like that. As always, my co-host, Bob Deal, is at my side. Well, actually, he's on the other line, but it's still my side. How you doing, Bob? Good. You're breaking up really bad this morning. That sucks. Let's see. Let me see if I'm on a else on Wi-Fi. Nope. How do I sound, folks? Am I breaking up? Am I breaking up? Janie Maybe just me a me. Janie just called me coffee abuser. It abused me. I went, Doink! yeah, anyway, <laughs> Robbie's going to send me cyber pastry. Thank you. How's it going down there in Sunny Bank? Good, good. Uh, last night as an Uber driver, I was really busy because of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, this morning. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I drove my first uh person to the Irish pub at 6.15 yesterday morning. In the morning? <laughs> Talk about yeah, in the morning. They were going down for breakfast. <laughs> like, holy oh, crap. Okay. So they say. They're going to, no. yeah. It's a good way so to they talk say they're, Well, you know, they're going to have some coffee with their breakfast, just add a little whiskey in it. That's all. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, today is the LA Marathon. Actually, it's over by now. My, my, I gave a couple guys a ride to the bus this morning to take them to the to Dodger Stadium where it all started. First guy mm-hmm. I picked up was what they call a legacy runner. He had a, a shirt and everything. Runner. He was, huh. runner. he has run every single LA Marathon. Wow. Yeah, he's about ooh, 55 to 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Been married for 38 years and he's run everyone. This is his 30, I guess it's been around for 33 years now. Holy moly, ran every one. That's every single marathon. And he lives in Albuquerque. 
So he so, so he has to come out of here. He has to come over there. He has to drive there. Wow. <clears throat> no, he, well, he flew, and so uh, he stayed at a hotel. Now, what was interesting was that he usually stayed with his sister-in-law, uh-huh. uh, and he told me that's no longer an option because he's divorcing his wife. <laughs> so her sister won't allow him in her house anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, isn't that a, isn't that amazing how um how stuff like that works? You know, everyone's a big happy family until you get a divorce, and then the family member, you know, all of a sudden like treat you like you're the plague. Yeah, yeah, figure, yeah. <clears throat> or, Absolutely. Well, their eyes, you are. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you get a divorce and that, and uh, your your ex won't won't stop hounding your family members for information under the premise of, oh, I just want to keep in touch. Anyway, there you go. Tom, <laughs> you know, basically they turn into stalkers. Uh, Tom Dwyer's watching. Oh, he said, Ooh, six, in the mo- six in the morning start. What a bunch of rock stars. We've got Taekwondo Master watching. We've got Andrew Badger watching. Shin uh, Yi Wuhan is also watching. Hey, we got Grandmaster Tony Collins watching. Also. There we go. You know, every time I say that, I feel like, I feel like I'm announcing people for ICU2, uh, ICU2 TV. I see you two TV. Let's uh, let's see how many Seattle lights are watching right now. You guys know what that is. Give me some likes. <laughs> I see you two TV. If you guys know what that is and you're local to Seattle, yeah, give me some likes. Anyway, I see you two TV. <laughs> I'll tell everyone because there's no Seattle lights that are that are watching right now. Uh, we had a. Um, um, a, a TV show, a kids' TV show over here, kind of like Captain Kangaroo, but it was JP Patches. Um, JP Patches was um, this this guy that lived at the city dump, and he had a shack at the city dump, and it was it was all based on on funny stuff like that. And he had a sidekick named Gertrude and and stuff like that. And every day, JP Patches would into his ICU2 TV and announced birthdays of all the kids out there. And uh, every uh, every summer, I would listen intently to see if my name was announced. So anyway, <laughs> we got Grandmaster oh, Daryl. Down here, that was, like, okay. that was like Homo Kelly down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that the That's Homo exactly Kelly? It. Yeah, um, I don't know Homo Kelly, but maybe people and uh, he was the mayor of the city, um, and but he always had like cool guests that came on that uh, that taught kids about, you know, stuff like well, how does how does garbage collection work? And they visited you know places to to teach kids about works and stuff like that. So pretty cool. Ralph Paris is watching, and um, uh, Tony Collins he goes, I do too, announcing Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got Hanson watching also. John Hedgeth is watching also. So anyway, tune in um, a little bit later because we're going to be talking about rank tests 
rank procedures. How did it go at your dojo or corner or dojang? Um, you know, we did, we're just kind of curious uh, how that how that works at, at your place. So anyway, <clears throat> um, I think it's gonna rain. You know, you know, Bob. I was like, oh, I think I'm gonna have enough time to mow my lawn after the show before I have to go teach my whip class or whatever. Um, and I bought uh-huh. a lawnmower at the hardware store down the road um, online, and I can go pick it up now because my order ready. It looks like it's starting to rain. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, federal weather. You know, not not as nice and predictable as as Burbank, but anyway, get on. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get moving. Unless you have any other pre-show announcements. Other than that, I guess we can get on to birthdays. Who do you have for birthdays there, Bob? Well, birthdays, I have, on the 21st, I have Bob White, uh, Grandmaster Bob White from uh, the Kempo system. Andrea Harkins, mm-hmm. her Yay. birthday on the 21st. And Stephen Spidey Morris, his birthday is also on the 21st. On the 22nd is Grandmaster John Painter. On the and on the 24th is Jeff Bihar and uh, our buddy Matthew Ziff. Nice, awesome. <clears throat> Robbie Lee says use a hair dryer on your grass. <laughs> okay, I've got a few birthdays. Um, I don't remember if you said Clay Worley. Clay Worley. No, okay. So on uh, the 18th, that's today. That's today. Clay Worley is having his birthday day. Same with Nancy Lucero, Nathan Presswich, and Anton Blair. Um, on the 8th, um, why did I say the 18th? Anyway, tomorrow, I think that's the 19th, we got Kurt Doyle and Terry Neal. On the 20th, Scott Irie. On the 21st, Kimi Mojica. And on the 23rd, we have Josephine Del Mar, Anthony Delanges, Molly Wolf, Eric Kovaleski, and Marianne Delgado. And on the 24th, we've got Steve Wessels. So for everybody having a birthday the week of the 18th through the 24th, this tune's for you. Hope you have a happy birthday, a super extra special day. Wish you happy birthday. May all your dreams come true today. Cause you really one in a million. And you mean the world to me. There's no one sweeter than you to wish a happy birthday to.
got me got me dancing in my seat. It's kind of happy, isn't it? Kind of happy. So happy birthday to everyone. Happy birthday between the 18th and 24th of this month. Make it a great birthday week, everybody. <clears throat> All right. So get moving on to announcements. So Bob, tell us about what's going on next weekend. There's only a few more days. Only only a few more days. Yes, next weekend we are having a telethon for the Martial Artist Museum, and I just opened up the schedule. It's going to be uh, we've got some some things happening that are actually pretty cool, and I still don't know how they fell upon me. We still have some spots to fill, uh, but the schedule goes as follows: on Saturday, the twenty fourth. At 11 a.m. when 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 it starts, we have the introduction and invocation and special edition. We have a a opening lion dance ceremony, which is going to be really Ooh. cool. Yay! That's going to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> then 11:30, Michael's going to give a museum tour. At noon, uh, Ristita is going to do a Tai Chi form. Uh, 12.30, her and I, uh, Rusty and I are going to do a demonstration at 1 o'clock. It's going to, Kathy Long is going to be doing a kickboxing demonstration. At 1.30, we're going to talk to one of our dear friends from the museum, uh, Mr. Roger Lowe, which is a uh, an actor, a martial artist, and a, a very accomplished drummer. At 2 o'clock, everybody's favorite all-girl band, Temperamental is I going to be uh, performing. They were great. Even and Mike Michael likes them, and he's not into their kind of music per se. But they were an outstanding band. Except, yeah. okay, I gotta say, and I said this during the telethon when they, I was a little bit disappointed when this when the lead singer said we're gonna sing. So some classic rock, and then said Radiohead. <laughs> well, you know <clears throat> that is to, that is to them. That's just not to it us. Is, it is to them, yeah. Like yeah. Um, before we move on, I just want to give a wave to Bernard Witcher over there in the UK. So we got two people listening from the UK, all over the world. If you like, oh nice. Yeah, if you like listening, folks, please share. Because uh, we couldn't uh, do this show without you guys. We don't get paid for this. We just do it because we love martial arts and we like uh, bringing community together. And we'd like to expand this community worldwide. So if you like what you're seeing, if you like the subject, if you like the show and stuff like that, heck, if you like any one of us, <laughs> go ahead and give this show a share. All right. Let's get back to the telephone. Okay. So. Uh, after Temperamental, at 3 o'clock, we have Michelle Manu that's going to be doing a Lua demo and history on Lua. Uh, nice. At 3.30, we're going to have Daniel Bruce Kelly, and he's a step dancer and is supposed to be amazing. Uh, nice. At, from 4 to four to 5, we're having uh, Vin Ciceri is going to give a, a, com- a little bit of comic relief. He's going to be uh, doing uh, jujitsu, uh, Sanukas Ru, uh, along with a little comedy, along with a couple of his students, which are going to talk to us just like they did in December. 
John and John, the two Johns. Uh, I don't have any names for the next segment yet, but from five to seven, we've reserved it for the comedy section. We have somebody working on getting us a group of comics, which will be very cool, like they do every year. Seven to uh-huh. Uh, 7.30 to 8.00 is going to be Frank Marquez and his knights. They're going to do a uh, martial arts demo for us. At 8.15, it's going to be Lady Reed. She's going to do a Tang Sudo demo. Uh, then we're, we have nobody from 8.45 to 10.15. But from 10.30 to 11.15, we're going to have Robert Dixon. He's going to do his Elvis tribute. Nice. Then <laughs> at 11.45, we're going to go over a little bit. Is we're supposed to end at 12. We're going to go probably to, you know, 12, 10 or so. We're going to have Joel Ward, which was on our first telethon over a year ago. And yeah. he's a fabulous musician, uh, magician that it was just, yeah. did some amazing stuff. Cool. He was just yeah, incredible. Uh, so then we go to, then we go to 11 a.m. on Sunday, our second day. We're going to do a recap of day one. Then at 11.30, we're going to have William Christopher Ford do a weapons demo, and, his, and he's going to bring a couple students with him to, to, to do a forest demo. Right after, we're going to do uh, an interview with one of the true icons of the martial arts, the, the ultimate bad guy in the movies, Gerald Akamura. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. At noon, we're, we're going to Spotlight the younger generation, you know, what it means to them or what it doesn't mean to them if we don't have this kind of museum around. Right. Uh, Then we have uh, Tim Becker doing a JKD demo at 1230. Uh, One o'clock, we have Felix Roles doing doing a Screama demo. Nice. At 130, which is going to be very, this is going to be very cool. My wife loves this band. We're going to have Tess and the Troubadours, and they're going to be doing an acoustic musical set. Nice. And that's going to be awesome. Uh, at 2.30, we're going to have uh, Cassie Long going to be doing a Kung Fu Sansu demo. At 3 o'clock, we have Norco Taekwondo. At 3.30, we have America's Abasamas. He's going to be doing a sumo demo. At Ooh, 4 o'clock, we're going to be doing a uh, martial arts. What? At 4, 4.30, we're going to be doing a uh, what? The 4 o'clock, we're going to be uh, yeah. We're going to be doing an interview with uh, two legends of the martial arts, Carl Totten and Douglas Wong. Ooh. At, Nice. 4.30, we're going to be doing a tribute to a, a friend of ours that we lost one week after uh, our telethon in December. That was the last time I saw him was at that telethon. So we're going to be doing a tribute to Jerry Lem. And then at 5 o'clock, we're going to have uh, a very funny girl. Very funny. She was with us last time. And actually, she was the only person who's ever performed at one of our telethons and just hung out with us until mm-hmm. the end of the night, until midnight. And she went on at like 6.30. Right. And that's uh, Mansi Mihar. Mansi Mihar, sorry. And then to close it out, 
we're going to have a patchy knife demonstration, patchy knife fighting by Robert Redfeather, and then we're going to have our closing. So it does seem, even though we do have a few patches available, it is a pretty full schedule. Uh, but we have some big patches available. We have to fill pretty quickly. We have a week to do it. So, and there you have it. That is our schedule for next week. My wife is actually out right now getting food donations. Uh, nice. A couple food donations that have come through is um, uh, that uh, Thai Room Restaurant here here in Burbank has, uh, I forget, what did they donate last time? Wontons or Rangoon? I, I forget what they donated. Something. But I they think donated this whole platter. I think it was something. It was something, but it was very good. And they're yeah. going to do it again. Uh, Century Dragons thinking about donating. Uh, Tequila's Mexican Restaurant's thinking about donating. Mm-hmm. And my wife is out right now trying to collect more, which she always nice. does a fabulous job, which is really funny because our first telethon, Michael, which is a great guy, great you know, great martial artist, but my wife knows how to do things a lot of people don't know how to do, and Michael was being a doubting Thomas. He would always say, oh, we're not going to get donations. We're not going to get this. We're not going to get that. And we showed up with, and he says, and he looks at my wife and says, you've got to teach me how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because he's never done that, or he doesn't, or maybe he did think that the yeah. museum was important enough people to donate to or whatever, but it is. Well, he's, see, the thing is, he's tried. Uh, it, it's all about the and approach. Jenny just, it is. And Jenny just has the contacts and did a wonderful job with it. And, of course, and I keep telling her, if you don't want more responsibility, don't do such a good job. Because <laughs> the other night, <laughs> the other night, Michael and her were talking on the phone. And she is now running the stage at Dragon Fest. What? Getting people on, getting people on, making sure people are there. Oh, yeah. so she is the stage manager. Sweet. Yes. She is the, <laughs> she is the official stage manager. She's going to get him to do something I've never done before. He has never offered us as much as we've done. He's never offered to, to get to to have us wear one of those cool martial arts history museum kimonos. Yeah. She's going to get to wear one. I'm jealous. And I'm kind of jealous too, but we have have enough on our plate doing doing all the broadcasting and the interviews and and stuff like that. We're going to be, we're going to be hitting around running when that, uh, when that telethon starts. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, that's, that's enough to worry about. So, yeah, it's going to be very cool. You know, and it'll it'll be yay for Jen. Yay well, for Jen. Awesome. And of course, I was telling you this the other day, and you confused the telethon with Dragon Fest. Yep, I did. I was like, yeah. and let, 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 tell, tell them the story. She's Bob. like, what tell are we going to be doing? Tell them this What's going on? And he's like, you're confusing Dragon Fest with the telethon, aren't you? And I thought about it, and I went, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, a museum event is a museum event. The only thing that changes, really, is the name 
and the venue and where it is. That's it. That's the only thing that changes, and Bob and I just come and do our thing, do our broadcast thing, and that's about it. So we've got a bunch of other people that joined us. Uh, we have Lin- Lindsay Manchua that joined us, Kathy Long watching. Hey, Lindsay. And, hey, Kat. And, hey, how come it's not Andrew Chin is watching? Weird. Bob Robinson is watching. And it's not showing me all the comments. Boo. So that way I can't. That way I can't. See who's actually all just joined up. Bernard Witcher, yeah, is uh, and who else? Bill Boggs is watching also. He's a uh, he's a great uh, pyrotechnic artist and uh, uh, film pyrotechnic and all sorts of cool stuff in the movies and stuff. So he's okay, let me give this straight. He's he's a he's a legalized. He's a professional pyromaniac. That's right. <laughs> well, that's that's just one of his his specialties. I mean, he does all sorts of great stuff for movies and stuff like that. Um, but he's the man. He's the man. So how you doing? Cool. Yeah. Denise Buxton watching. Same with Pete Wright. Pete. Pete. Hurrah. How you doing? What you cooking today, man? Anyway, I want some. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Right. Bring it over, man. <laughs> Bring it over. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, like it's, it's going to be a fun-filled weekend. So I'm going to be uh, flying. Oh, on, uh, so, oh by the way, Rusty, I got something to tell you. I had to take What's a call it? while you were doing your birthday. Okay. I uh-huh. know, I've never taken a call. I've been doing the show. I've got right. this great guy. My brakes are shot, right? Right. I had to go out and buy new rotors and new pads. This this guy's gonna gonna replace my rotors and pads for forty bucks and a six pack of beer. Yeah. What? <laughs> I've got my Scooby ears up. What? I think I paid yes. like three hundred something dollars for rotors and brakes and well, I had to get a master cylinder also, but yeah. I was like, What? Well, my ears now, I paid a hundred and forty for my for my brakes and uh uh rotors. So it'll be a total mm-hmm. of two hundred bucks. When typically it's about three three fifty. Exactly, exactly. Well, right on. That that's really cool. Friends like so, that, that they just say, ah, you know, just feed me and give me a six pack of beer or something, right? And forty bucks for gas or whatever, right? That's badass. That's badass. I know, isn't it? Now I'm gonna right after the show. I'm going over to his house. He's gonna do it for uh-huh. me, and I'm out driving again. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and I'm gonna go get a lawn. Okay. See if I can actually do a little, at least my front lawn. You know, the, the part that people see. <laughs> right. Tom goes break here. Hey, Tom Peebles is watching. Tom, he's a Dulce Paris uh, uh, brother and classmate. I'm. Like, How you doing, Tom? And uh, yeah, and yeah, break for beard. Uh, Tom Dwyer. So we got Tom Peebles and Tom Dwyer. So there you go. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's get on to the show. So today, in lieu of health news, I just want to try something different because, you know, sometimes I could, I'll just be driving along and I get like these ram stupid thoughts. <laughs> and we've done this before. Oh, my God, you're like me. <laughs> yeah, but we've, we've done this before, but it's been a long time. So for today, we're going to do Rusty's Random Thoughts. <laughs> Right. So 
So. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just reading it, and I started laughing. I know. Okay, so have you guys ever wondered why why the hell does the word list have an S in it? <laughs> what, what the hell is that for? <laughs> I <know>. I <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> alright okay so I don't know have you guys ever wondered that why the hell does the word list have an S in it <laughs> alright and uh, my second random thought is okay this sounds really weird no judging folks so why is a W called a double U shouldn't it be a double V just saying just saying <laughs> Matt Stone is watching. He goes, lisp, lisp. <laughs> and stop saying lisp. <laughs> well, I sit. <laughs> now, the third, the third one I had, um, and it, it, this was on accident. I forgot what I was reading or whatever, and I turned to my phone, and I realized that the word swims, is the same word upside down. <laughs> so, think. Wow, I have together. never realized that. <laughs> everyone's right. Everyone's right down now. Everyone's googling the word "swims" and turning their phone upside down. Well, you got to turn off. The I just did that. because it's on my notes. I turn. I turn my phone upside down. Went, well, shit. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Pete says, say lisp, lisp, lips, ten times quickly. Lisp, lips, lisp, lips, lips, lips. Lisp, 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 Okay. <laughs> Only if you get in line with that and you do it. <laughs> Matt goes, you spend a lot of time in traffic. You do. It's Seattle. Man, it's like turning a delay. <laughs> Don't let that sway you from moving back here, back home here, Matt. <laughs> Don't let that sway you. Come back home, buddy. <laughs> anyway, list, list, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So there you go. That's some of the weird shit that goes through Rusty's head. So. <laughs> With that said, let's move on to Bob. Weird News. Right. Now, I do have to say, though, that with all that shit running around and through your head, you forget stuff, too, at the same time, like we always do. Uh-oh, so, what did I forget? <laughs> let's talk about Dragon Fest. <laughs> oh! I mean, it's okay, but... <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. You idiot. Okay. Let's talk about Dragon Fest. Okay, Dragon Fest is last weekend in August, the 25th and 6th of August at the Pickwick Gardens here in Burbank. It's at 1001 Riverside Drive, Burbank 91506. Uh, first day is going to be the convention, going to be all the vendors. I'm sure James Wilson's going to be setting up his traditions booth, and we're going to have a booth, and, and Jenny's going to be the stage manager, and, and Felix Rollins is going to be there. 
we've got, oh, God, like 100 more booths than we did last year. And last it's year it grew. So cool. It's going to be very cool. Huge. Then the next day they're going to have the seminar day. Uh, you know, we're going to have Don Wilson and, and uh, Ben and We're going to have a bunch of people, a bunch of top martial artists teaching seminars. And each day is $30. $30 for convention, $30 for seminars. Now think about that. That is $5 per seminar with some of the greatest in the world. It, it's just going to be an amazing time. Uh, Mike Michael's starting to post uh, uh, hotels now on the website because there's a bunch of hotels. Uh and I, I, you know, and Michael's working on getting grants for it, and he might have gotten one, uh, uh, UFC grant, City Burbank grant, uh, and one from the Japanese Cultural Center. So it's going to be a good time. We're going to really enjoy it. All oh, come out for Dragon be- Fest. We know Janie's going to be there from Kentucky. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We're all going to have fun. Yes, it'll be, it'll be awesome. All right. <clears throat> You know, it's, you know, it's like I was trying to find a, a graphic in fact, I found out when we're done with <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to even put it in for it here. Did go? Where did go? Oh, that's, that's 2017. I don't want that one. What happened? Okie dokie. So I guess now we're at the weird news, right? So let's now this it's again. weird news. Now it's weird okay. news. Take Here two. we go. Take two. Weird news. All right. What do we got for the weird now, news? This is this is something a friend of mine asked me a long time ago when I first started driving for Lyft. Just. Do you ever think that somebody will use Lyft or Uber in your services for a crime, holding up a liquor store or something like that? I do think that somebody did a drug deal at like hmm. four in the morning. So hmm. I gave him a really low rating so I'd never have to see him again. But <laughs> this was funny because police say a 19-year-old Indiana man took a cab to and from, get this, a bank robbery. <laughs> wait. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What? Okay, can't wait to hear this. Story. And then, and then, he paid the cab driver with some of the stolen cash. You dumbass! <laughs> what a dumbass! I mean. Derek yeah, Faria, <laughs> he was arrested less than an hour after Thursday's robbery of a fifth third bank branch in Evansville. Uh-huh. The Evansville Courier and Press reports that Faria reported, reportedly passed a teller a note demanding money, but that he didn't show a weapon. Faria is being held at Vandenberg County Jail on preliminary charges of robbery and possession of drug paraphernalia. Court records show that Faria 
hadn't been formally charged as of Friday morning. They didn't list an attorney on him. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, he's not a man. doesn't have a weapon, just has a note. And now it's on record where this dumbass lives. <laughs> you dumbass. You dumbass. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> stupid people. <laughs> and that is my weird news for the week, and that definitely classifies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our entertainment news. That for entertainment. Okay. So, O.J. Simpson is insisting his If I Did It TV special was not a confession to murder and says the people and uh, on the show were oh all God. a bunch of haters. I know. This is this is never now ending. This is in, now from he's the 90s. Oh my God. Now he's yeah, whining. Now he's whining, well, right? You're making, well, you're all making me out to be a killer. Me, 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 me. Oh, yeah. It was bad enough when he had to start playing public golf courses. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Simpson gave okay. his first sit-down interview since leaving prison to the Buffalo News and gave his own take on O.J. Simpson, the lost confession. When people want to make money or get ratings, they're going to pimp me. <laughs> I'm going to get pimped. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, don't make yourself. Can you make yourself any more important there, OJ? Can you? Can you? Yeah, right. Uh, Simpson <laughs> says his friends had been teasing him about the show and whether or not it was a real confession. Listen, if I confessed <laughs> 12 years ago, you would have heard about it 12 years ago. When asked if he's watched the Fox special, Simpson replied, I watched nothing of me. <laughs> so if he's on TV or any specials, he probably didn't didn't see that uh, one where, uh, who was it that played uh, Simpson? Coobage Gooding Jr.? Something, yeah. On that special, on that unauthorized thing. and Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and there is my entertainment news for the week. All right. <laughs> well, well, let's do this, folks. Um, we're running about uh, 20 minutes behind. But uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, take a short break? And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about rank tests and rank requirements and uh, and stuff like that. We want to know how it's done at your school. Um, our phone number is 347-677-0699, or you can just start typing really fast down in the comments below. But it's always fun to talk to you guys, 347-677-0699. We're going to open the phone lines after the break. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back after this. High school is a time for figuring things out, like finding the square root of X when your ex won't stop texting you. Or how to write an essay on Twelfth Night, the night before it's due. It's about making friends. And making memories. 
It's about deciding where you fit, where you stand, and what you simply won't stand for. Long after class is dismissed, after you've left the hall and moved on with life, after you've forgotten all the answers to all the tests, you'll remember the day you figured out the kind of person you were going to be. Stand up for someone being bullied, and they'll never forget you. Stand up to bullying. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in .1 miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The Heart Truth is a campaign sponsored by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute to raise awareness about heart health. One thing that everyone can do to support heart health is to get moving. Health and fitness expert Dr. Pamela Peek says that small steps can lead to big benefits. Throughout the day, just get up and move more. Park your car in the farthest parking spot. Find any excuse to walk as you live your busy life. The key to heart health is regular physical activity and a balanced diet. I help get my patients educated and motivated to stay active every single day. That's why I'm behind the Heart Truth campaign and those who partnered with it, like Diet Coke. Join them this month as they work to educate, inspire, and motivate by visiting dietcoke.com slash hearttruth. Inside this little Burbank building, this is the first museum in the world dedicated to martial arts. It, it really reflects on the style and the, the philosophy of each and every different culture. White eyebrow kung fu, monkey kung fu, the animal styles, Shaolin. Talking about the ninja here. Japan had the samurai. Here we go into our Korean section. In fact, every corner of Asia and the Pacific has its own martial arts. It'll be an absolute shame if one day you ask a kid and he doesn't know who Bruce Lee is. From the history of the Japanese samurai to the artistry of anime, enjoy a look into Asian culture by visiting the Martial Arts History Museum in Burbank. Hi, this is Frank Duke. This is T.J. Douglas Wong. Hi, this is Kumu Lua, Michelle Manu, and you're listening to Rosita and Bob on the Dynamic Dojo Radio Show. The only place to be to get the real scoop on the real things that are going on in the martial arts world. Do you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio Show? If you do, you can email your suggestions and ideas to dynamic dojo radio host at gmail.com or you can also post it on the dynamic dojo facebook page you're listening to the dynamic dojo show with restita and robert your source for martial arts talk radio <laughs> we are <laughs> And we are <coughs> trying to clear my throat. <laughs> nice. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Anyway, this is I do. Dynamic Dojo Talk TV with Ruby and Bob. And today we are going to open the phone lines. Our phone number is 347 677 
0.0069, and we're talking about belt requirements, belt ranking tests, um, test procedures, and uh, we're curious as to how it goes to your school. Now, to uh, before uh, I uh, go to Sifu Bob, this um, Matt Stone just came in, and he says, my previous school had five belts, yellow, blue, black, and red, with three levels in each. No belt for the first few months you began. No uniform need either. Kind of sounds like my school. When you took your first test for white belt, that's right. It started with a white belt. You actually have to test for it. You um, you needed to know for the time you took your first test. Belt as more an indication of what you were studying at school at that time. No belt sashes rank of any kind. There are students, disciples, and teachers. You know who's who because you can see it in the form. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, like I said earlier, the thing is, so, uh, Bob actually thought of this particular subject, and I don't think we've ever uh, talked about it. I mean, we've talked about our own tests and stuff like that. We've never talked about procedures and uh, and responses. And so we're just curious. But uh, Bob, what the, the what made you think about this cool subject? I mean, it's a bad subject. You know, I thought about it because I remember not just that I went through some grueling rank tests when I was growing up, but I've administered them too. Mhm. Mhm. So I wondered, you know, you know. I was talking to my buddy, uh, Silky Greg Woldridge, and mm-hmm. his black belt test was like two eight-hour days. Now, right. the reason I thought about this was I was thinking, do they really need to be two eight-hour days? Now, he's got a group of students in Hazeltine Park that you've met, you've taught for, mm-hmm. and when they test, now they have to adjust it because they're only in a park. So they can't yeah. go through two eight-hour tests for. So now they have to adapt to their surroundings. Right. Uh, so how does that work for everybody? You know, we test in schools, backyards. I actually there there was one of, one of Greg's students got his nose broke in my backyard. <laughs> Flat out broke, slammed with an elbow. Sounds like a lot of and tests I've been to. <laughs> I, I remember that very vividly. In fact, it was my mother was still alive, so it was pre-2005. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 2001 or so. Wow. Right. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You know what? I just said I'm old, and you said right. No, I just laughed because I was going to say, you're not that <laughs> older than I am. With. I, oh, oh, don't don't make me tell that story again. Oh, I everyone knows that story. I'll go ahead and tell it. So I think I think it was like the first Masters Hall. Of, was it first Masters Hall of Fame or the second? I don't remember. No, it was the first time you ever stayed with me. So it was the second. Oh, right, right, right. I, you know, I honestly forgot what we were talking about, but the, the subject of age I don't came know. up. And I and I said, well, well, I don't know. I mean, what? You're not that old, right? I mean, you're what? Ten years older than I am. <laughs> and he's fit because he's only a couple. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit! I'm sorry, dude. 
<laughs> hey, April Vidal's watching, Bob. <laughs> hey, April. April. Yes, I, well, I had to mute because, you know, I, I live under a flight path from Burbank Airport. Oh. So I have to shut off my I have to mute my phone. Now, are you you're not over under any flight path, are you from like SeaTac or anything? Um, sort of, sort of. I mean, it, it depends on whether or not planes are <clears throat> circling, waiting to land or take off. Or the land, sorry, waiting oh, to land. Oh, okay. But normally we don't really we don't really hear it because they're already uh, a little bit high enough P-tech, so that way we only hear them as opposed to the type of noise, right? When you take off. Um, yeah, we've got Simaj Rilkner watching. Ben Perez is also watching. Tim Kiss is watching. Well, and April, how you doing, girl? Uh, Jedon, Marshall, hey, is that Jeds? Um, Jedokon, Marks, isn't that Jeds? I think so. Oh, Jedokon is Jeff Jeds, yes. Hi, Jeff. Right, so April J. Vidal, she says morning to you both. Day is rehearsal. We have junior instructors. No matter what, show the same respect for each other. They know their place, and everyone else knows it too. Um, tap to see more. I'm trying to. Um, no words spoken, just general respect for each other. The belt, I feel, is that the younger generation having something to look forward to to gain a higher rank without bragging or boasting. Thanks for your input there, April. Danny Sanchez is watching, and Jamie Lerizer is back on track with watching. Hey, I thought you were at work, Janie. Anyway. So, yeah, you know, I I remember being at the tests where, you know, people would puke in their gi, people would, you know, end up broken elbows, broken toes, broken noses, broken ribs, stuff like that. You know, I guess the question is to our to our viewers out there at your dojo, do you guys have like you know multi day tests? Uh, where it's like physically grueling, you know, almost like a coming of age ceremony for guys or something like that. Um, and does it have to be like that, you know? And if not, what do you look for outside of the general requirements? So, you know, we're curious as to what requirements you look for. You know, are you looking for um, a certain amount of kata? Are you looking for self defense? Are you looking for sparring? Um, and uh, you know, outside of those requirements, outside of those obvious requirements, what do you look for? Um, <clears throat> Jed says, hey, it's Jeff dropping by. Hi, guys. You guys are fantastic. Love you guys. Love you, Jeff. Hope you're doing well. Um, he writes, our test is about two or three hours. We have to be able to talk about the history of Korea and Taekwondo for at least 20 minutes straight. You will be asked asked a series of questions ranging from Korean Korean command words. I can't hear things on my screen here. Korean command words to what this technique or that technique is uh, for. Then we spar several people for however long. Escape techniques. Then when you're exhausted. You break boards. That the breaking boards usually ends the test. <clears throat> so, um. You know, just curious. I know nothing about Taekwondo. Um, you know, are people graded on forms? And you know, how how do you 
how do you grade if, like, let's say the forms look to be great, but the self-defense demonstrations are subpar? I mean, how do you balance that out? Uh, that can be a problem, too. What you say? Absolutely a problem. <laughs> Uh, and my, I'm, I'm curious because Taekwondo is known for their uh, high kicking ability, but mm-hmm. some, some people just can't do it. They're they're not stretched enough. They just just can't reach that kind of level. Do you still grade them on their height? Uh, if they can't get them high, do you downgrade them, or do you grade them on their ability to be able to kick as high as possible, whether it be head, shoulder? Uh, maybe you have somebody that can't kick higher than kneecap. Are they graded based yeah. on their ability or, or their, their standards for the style? That's a good question. Maybe maybe our Taekwondo friends out there can answer that. Um, because, you know, I knew a gal back in the 90s who was a Taekwondo person, and, you know, she could kick high. She was very quick and very talented with her legs. Um, but I remember her saying, it's not – that you kick people ahead. That's more of a slope thing, right? Um, she said, you know, Taekwondo people do have strikes, too. It's just that, you know, it, the stereotype is, is that it's all kicks. And you have to kick ahead. And you have to be like funky 720, 360 degree, you know, acrobatic kicks and stuff like that. Um, so, I, you know, I just look at Taekwondo as, as you know, art, you know how, like, every martial art, you know, has a particular focus? You know, like, Eskrima, you know, for many martial artists that are familiar with Eskrima but don't really study it, everyone automatically thinks what? Stick fighting. Stick. They forget. Stick. That's it. They, yeah, they forget about the Panantuka, and Pangamod, and the Sikan, or the Dumog, or what? They forget about all those M-Pan elements because they go, stick and blade. Rah. You know? So I, I'm guessing that it's just a, a, a focal point, I guess. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about Tondo. So Jamie, you know, chime in, please. Correct me if I'm wrong. So Noel Lambon is watching. So is Michael Blackburn. How you doing, Michael? Eve B is watching. Um, and everyone's saying hello, hello to each other. And, and this is exactly what we like about the show. So I'm kind of diverting from the subject a little bit. This is what we like about the show. When we come on the show, everyone gets on the comments and says hello to everyone, you know, wishes each other a great day. And sometimes, you know, they start their own, you know, backdoor um, uh, conversations and stuff. And, and so that's, this is what it's all about, folks, is coming together and building the community and staying a community instead of all this, like, my art's better than your art. And my testing, my testing procedures are better than yours. <laughs> Yeah. No, you brought up a good point, Bob. You know, well, what if somebody doesn't kick high enough? You know, that was my question. Well, what about you know, if a school has um, specific requirements for, like, kicks or, you know, footwork or whatever, how do you grade people with physical limitations or disabilities, right? What does your, I'm curious, you know, what does your dojo or dojo or corn or what have you, how does your gym, if you do rank testing, how does your gym uh, grade rank test if someone's like in a wheelchair or has to use um, 
crutches um, or, um, you know, has any type of limitation that uh, would prevent them or make it difficult to do some other requirements? Are you not going to grade them because they can't? You know, that's, you know, and it's okay if you don't. We're just curious. We're just curious. Um, Andrew, Andrew Osborne writes in, and he writes, when I did Wadoru Karate in the mid-70s, my sensei, Josh Johnson, made us learn about the history of karate. Then we learned, then once we learned that, we gave a short discussion about it, knowing certain words when you are just about to perform your very first kata. Then once you learned your very first kata and performed it smoothly with confidence, our sensei would award us with our white belt. Pretty cool. Janie also writes in and she writes, we have to go through white to red belt forms and some form people are, and some form people are great, but self-defense is bad. It depends on the person, but the master is happy with form. And if you are able to explain the technique, then they are usually good. Um, so, yeah, but you know, outside of, outside of physical requirements, you know, talking about people with physical limitations and, and, and uh, handicaps or what have you, um, you know, what are some, what are some things outside of those requirements that you look for? Um, well, Jeff Jeds writes in and he writes first the right attitudes, amen, then academics, and then the physical part. Lastly, the students must display the skills based on their age, physical capabilities, weight, and height. We cannot test everyone the same way with the same um, with the same curriculum because of our differences. And there you go. Thank you. Amen. We got Mags um, Hefferman watching also. Hi, Mags. <clears throat> so um, what about you? You know, when you were teaching or when uh, Greg Waldridge was teaching, um, did you guys have any people with uh, physical limitations or anything like that? And if so, how did you how did you guys uh, go about teaching them? Well, that's a good question. You know, and you know how hardcore Greg is. Uh, right. He of course softened his his uh, teaching for the kids, which he was very good at. But you know, his style, the way he teaches, is not for everybody. It's not for kids. Right. So we really didn't have anybody with physical limitations when Greg had his own school because they would be welcome to come in and watch a class. When they would come in and watch a class, they a lot of them wouldn't be back. Right. Because they saw how physically demanding it was. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Greg would have changed it given the opportunity, and I'm sure he's been given the opportunity prior. Now, with that said, my Jeet Kune Do instructor, Mark Stewart, did teach Chi Sao, at the Braille Institute here in Los Angeles. So Perfect. he did teach martial arts to sight-challenged, if that's the politically correct word nowadays to use, mm-hmm. uh, sight-challenged individuals. But he took from his tool bag and used what they would feel comfortable with and happens mm-hmm. to be that they would feel very comfortable with doing some sick, some sick hands, some G-sound, nice. single and double. So yeah. it worked well, out really well. Perfect, that's a perfect activity for people with uh, sight limitations right. like that. It's perfect because isn't that the goal anyway? 
<laughs> right? To, to right. not to not to exactly. not to be sight challenged, but to have that kind of sensitivity to where your eyes, you know, don't fool you anymore. You know, the other day I was working uh, the Hubud drill with uh, my people, and I changed the timing on it. I put in a half beat, um, and uh, it completely messed them up. Right? It's funny. You know, once they finally got it with with hand, they couldn't do the same thing with scope here. But you know, and I said, you don't. You know, like I, said, I said you have to use your own body as a reference, based on you know, how you're referencing your partner. Because if you try to watch them, you know, you're probably going to automatically try to mirror them, and that's going to mess it up, you know. So don't let your eyes fool you, you know. Learn to feel, right? <clears throat> so, you know, and, and I'm perfectly aware that it takes uh, it, it takes a little bit of a learning curve to to learn that kind of sensitivity and to learn that type of, uh, you know, don't see with your eyes. Type thing, um, but you know, I know that in our curriculum, you know, by the time you're in advance, you should be able to have hubud down. But you know, what if what if they can't do that drill? You see what I'm saying? So you know, this is what people are writing in. They're like, well, if they if they're not if they don't have one element or whatever. Uh, can they make it up in another element? You know, um, so that's 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 kind of another question. Um, Derek Carlton writes in and he says, "I for ethics, morality, and self conscious uh, self confidence." Thank you nice. so much, Derek. <laughs> yeah, Lana well, Cave has to be you know what, Rusty? You know, uh, uh, Mark Stewart was over in Indonesia with us a lot mm-hmm. group. And they're, mm-hmm. they're what we would call beginner or white belt training was what mm-hmm. they called intention training, mm-hmm. where you would mm-hmm. be blindfolded and people would just start swinging at you. Right. You would have right. to feel their intention. What yeah. are they intended to do? And they would start, there would be, there were more advanced belts that you could not hit. Yeah. And they would be completely yeah. sightless. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, that learning curve as well, because because you have to get out of your head. You have to get out of your head mm-hmm. that this is just weird woo woo use the bullshit. You have to get out of your head, um, and that's the hard part for a lot of people. Now I remember um, training like that when I was in karate. We would do very slow circle kumite where everyone would surround you and. Uh, they would just come in and just start sparring with you at random, right? Well, since they would say next and some random person would come in and then they'd spar you and you'd blindfolded. And now we still have a, a, a drill that we call circle drill where you're in the middle, most times sighted for, um, for beginners and intermediate, and people randomly attack you with whatever, kick, punch, baseball bat, whatever, and you're supposed to deal with that from all angles. For the upper, upper ranks, we blindfold them. And uh, most times, you know, for people that do that do this drill, you know how this goes, right? Most times people will end up just guessing, start pawing air, waiting for someone to come in. Um, they're too worried about 
looking like they know what they're doing as opposed to just relaxing and, and feeling for that intention. That's a good a good way of putting it, Bob, the intention drill. <clears throat> because it works. If you just like open your mind up a little bit and feel that intention, you'll be able to But first you have to get out of your head. You have to get out of your head and look at look at it as some like woo woo bullshit. Because you know, it it works. <laughs> it works, in my humble opinion. Just that's just me. I and mean, if you want to use your eyes, that's fine. But I think, you know, that's where the sensitivity training comes in. With chisau or hubud or push hands or whatever you know sensitivity drills uh, you want to, and it goes into that uh, intention training. <clears throat> now, um, going back to. Um, requirements for people that have limitations. I've heard several people out here that are, are adamant about not promoting unless they can show, unless candidate can show all techniques. So like footwork and kicks and stuff like that. Basically, if you're in a wheelchair and can't kick and can do the footwork, Chances are they're not going to promote your black belt, and their reasoning behind this is, well, how can they be a, how are they going to be a black belt? How are they going to teach that if they don't have any legs? They're going to teach that if the blah 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 blah, right? So I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, I, for one, I'm livid when I hear these kind of comments. What do you mean? You know, just because they're in a wheelchair, you're not going to promote because they can't show the jump kick or whatever. Uh, I was livid, um, but I'm, I'm curious as to what everyone has to say about that. Stephen um, is watching. Stuart is watching. Lupo is back watching with us again, and Bumps is watching. George uh, Lemoyne is watching. I completely messed up your name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rolando uh, uh, Akavi is watching. How you doing, Rolando? Errol Lindley is also watching. Lanike Pascobillo, I'm messing up everyone's name, is watching. Thanks for joining us. we got a bunch of people. Introduce yourself. Because these are the people that watch us a lot. Introduce yourself. Um, and so, um, I'm so okay. Let's, uh, let's take a question over to Bob. So let's just say you were asked to be on a panel. And one of one or more of the uh, black belt candidates were in a wheelchair or had to use some type of ability aid, like um, like crutches or whatever, and like clinic crutches, you know, so you know people MS or whatever, right, or cerebral palsy. You know, what do what would you look for, Bob, in their test outside of can they do or can they do kicks or whatever? What would you look out, outside of their ability not to perform some of the tasks that that are normally given? Uh, I would look for their for their ability to use what they have. Exactly. Uh, I've seen guys with crutches that can kick the crap out of a lot of people. <laughs> Me too. What does, a, what, <laughs> what does a crutch represent? A crutch can represent a kick. A ridge hand, 
Uh, number five line from Collie, a straight jab, uh, a hook. It can represent a lot, but that is a long-range weapon. That would be like a Largo weapon. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Uh, if You just have to judge them on their ability. I mean, the, one of our, our, our guests at the telethon, one of the Johns, I, I don't know what he has. I think it's cerebral palsy. He couldn't find a wheelchair. I, that's one of the questions I want to ask Vinny next weekend is how did his test him. go because he just tested. Yeah, I remember him. He was such a joy to interview. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, that's that's awesome. Pete writes in and he goes, bingo. It's on students' self-progress and improvement, not silly dogma. Nobody does everything perfectly. Andrew Osborne writes in, um, in response to my, uh, you know, hearing people saying, I'm not proponing this person because they can't do the forward. How are they going to teach it if they can't do it, right? If can't even stand up. Andrew writes, that's wrong because someone in a wheelchair can compensate that by learning some remarkable techniques to make for their, uh, to make up with a wheelchair. Agreed. You know, I mean, in a way, I kind of want to, you know, for people that think that well, when if they can't show their footwork, blah 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 blah, right? Put on the line, blah blah blah. Um, for those people, I kind of want to say, okay, how about you get in a wheelchair and you figure out how to do that kata in a wheelchair? Go ahead. Don't worry. We'll wait. <laughs> now, with, with that said, Rusty, I have no problem with. I think. If a sensei, sifu, guru, whoever has a a a student has a disability, let let's mm-hmm. have him refine it and let's have him get in that wheelchair and figure certain things out and right. figure out how difficult it is to do what they're being asked to do and why should he or shouldn't he rank this person based on a disability he knows nothing about. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, I remember, I forget how many years ago, I sat, I sat on a panel and there was talk about um, promoting someone because of the disability. Now, the disability wasn't like, you know, wheelchair bound or crutch bound or whatever. Um, it was more so um, developmentally uh Okay. disabled, right? And there were there was discussion about well, should we promote because you know the senses don't look as strong or blah 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 blah. You know this person's only got one arm. Blah 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 blah. blah. You know, uh, and because of clubfoot, you know, it made it hard for this person to do to do certain things and waiting for like. 10, 15 minutes, whether or not this person should be promoted. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the person that announces their kata louder than anyone else. This is the person that goes out there and says, yes, sensei, at, you know, anything you throw at them, anything. If you said make up a form with this, make up a kata with this clipboard, yes, sensei, would not think twice. And you guys are tripping out about their horse stance isn't low enough. They've only got one arm. What the hell, folks? You know? <laughs> well, and Rusty, how many times have you sparred 
and you've done certain things in sparring that your sensei told you to do, like, uh, okay, you can only use one arm, you can only use your left leg, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Same I've thing. done classes like that. Yeah, I've done classes like that too, where, where, you know, they'd have to tie one hand behind their back or, or what have you, right? And okay, now spar, or okay, now do, now do kali, now do your scream, uh, sinawali drills. And half the time they can't figure it out with one hand. Then they have to go back to two hands to figure it out. Then they gotta like try to adjust it in their mind. I'm like, oh no, 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 put that stick down. You don't get to cheat. Figure it out in your head. Figure it out. Welcome to the world of people with, you know, one arm or one hand, you know. <laughs> and usually, hopefully, usually it, uh, it results in a bit more respect for, uh, for people's abilities to adapt. Adaptation, I feel, is one of the requirements for black belt in my eyes. It's just, it, it can't be just physical. Um, it just can't. I mean, you know, because why? <laughs> you know. So anyway, Andrew writes. Uh, well, Janie writes in. Oh, go ahead, bud. You have, but you yourself have also had these guys. You didn't know if you should promote or not to a certain yeah. rank because of their age or timing, grade or whatever. But they were the most talented individuals you've ever seen. Yeah. Exactly. And based on that, how could you deny them? Exactly. Even with their parents saying they're too young, they're too th-, you're going, but look at the look at the chick. Look at this. I know. There are exceptions to the rule. I mean, I get it, you know. I mean, you know, and we've had these these subjects where, you know, talking about, you know, 10-year-old black belts and, you know, and stuff like that. Would you would you a dojo? Some people would absolutely not, you know. And we have these discussions um, I'm a I'm a believer in that. There's always at least one or two of the rules. You know, to deny you know a kid who's obviously talented and is obviously you know a wunderkind, you know, very talented and and old soul in a young body, you know that kind of thing. Very talented, like genius type of kid. Oh yeah! By, by the way, I hate them all. <laughs> but to, to deny them, you know, rank, and say, "Well, you're going to have to wait another, I don't know, eight years." You're never going to see that kid again unless they are that dedicated. And even then. If they're already talented when they're eight years old and, and you keep them at brown belt for eight years, right? And their black belt skill would have would have exponentially improved just like any of us would. Would that person be promoted to second down or third down depending on the school's environments? Or are you just going to put them at first down from that point? On? You know, or you know what I'm saying? And so it's kind of like, you know, what do you do? You know, um, now, now, Andrew, I want your own personal opinion. What What about sure. uh, inv- invitation to test? You know, have you ever had somebody say, I'm not ready to test, but you're like, oh, yes, you are. You're going to test. Is that because they are truly ready or do you want to see them go through a test when they feel they're not ready? 
know, for me, it depends on the individual because I've done both. You know, when people don't normally test, I say they're ready to test. And I'll put their name on the board and, you know, send out a you know formal announcement and invite people and, and stuff like that. Um, and when they if they see their name on the board, they either go with it, you know, or they come up to me and they go, uh, I really don't feel ready to test. Right. And if I see on the training floor makes them ready, when they say I'm not ready to test, it's because of one of the things. Because I'm going to talk about this a little bit later because, you know, I do charge fees for my tests, right? Normally, old tests, you know, on that the school isn't even open, right? I invite other teachers, even teachers that are not in martial arts because I want a non-biased, you know, outlook from other people, from other skilled instructors, from other arts, you know, and I kind of want to offer them something for their time, right? You know, belts have to be have to be made and stuff like that, you know. So when people say I'm not ready to test, it's either because fee, which isn't bad at all, or they honestly feel that their skills are not up to par with what they expect that next rank to be. And, um, and you know, I have to always, you know, assure you, know, I would not put you on this testing roster if I didn't think we're ready. And I have to remind people that, you know, once you get a new rank, you know, your sights, you know, look higher and higher and higher, right? Your your sights go, okay, this is my expectation of what the next rank is. And a lot of times for people, that expectation for the next rank is, you know, damn near perfection, right? And when somebody's training themselves, it's kind of hard to see, you know, progress. It's like, you know, when you're around, when you're around kids for so long, you honestly really don't see them grow up until you realize it's taller than you, anyway, right? You know, you kind of, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of just don't see the growth because they, they're around you all the time. Well, you're around yourself all the time. And a lot of times you don't see the growth. Yet your your states on the next rank is so high, and you know you don't see yourself there. But you know the last six months that you've been training, you've been improving and improving and improving, and your techniques have gotten better and sharper, and and you've gotten more fit and this and that and the other. You don't see that. You know? That's what your teacher's eyes are for, folks. <laughs> yeah, until like you, you've been teaching so long, you're you're. Your child students that you had years ago now have kids of their own. That's right. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild to have. Isn't that wild? You know, kids, of their own and those kids are at my school. That's something to wrap mind around. <laughs> so Janie Janie writes in and she writes, "People with disabilities are capable. Just have to adjust." Capability. We promoted one of these great people yesterday. Congratulations on your test yesterday, Jane. Andrew nice. writes, and this uh, Andrew writes, and this is why you should never ever underestimate anyone with a physical or mental disability. Look at the people who are in the Paralympics. As you can clearly see, that they are truly amazing at get to see more at what they do. And Bernard Witcher writes in, and he writes. I've had the pleasure of teaching Taiki and self-defense to many disabled people. 
generally they put more effort into what they do than the able-bodied students. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> How true is that? Carlton. Hi, Derek. Thanks for writing in. Derek writes, martial arts should be based on your individual ability, confidence, ethics, and self-confidence. As instructors of the arts, it's our job to build the students' awareness and to empower them. The methods and the lack of she. There we go. Kevin Pell is watching. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for watching. Matt Stone. Now, Russ, I have a question for you. What's that? What What do you do? Let's say because I've you've had you've had siblings in class, and one of them wants to really be there, and one of them doesn't. What do you do if obviously somebody may have a, a disability, let's say ADHD, okay, or something like that, where they're all over the place, they really don't practice, mm-hmm. but they're going to test, but failing them on the test is going to absolutely crush them and crush their spirits. What do you do? Right. Well, it, it depends. It depends on the individual and the rank. usually have four stripe rules within each color rank. Right? So, for example... You know, um, in the past, um, kids with ADHD and ADD, um, if they meet a requirement, so let's say they meet the requirements for yellow belt, okay, well, then they have four stripes to deal with, right? And each stripe, actually, after the second stripe, you actually get a different looking belt. So, for example, after yellow belt, if you get your second yellow belt, it's a yellow belt with a black stripe going down the length of it, right? And then any other stripes go on the tip of the belt, right? So anyway, so they decide that they want to test for the next rank, like orange belt. Now, well, I have to tell them whether they're ready to test for that. That way, you know, there's something that they gain, even though it's not the full orange belt. And it's not that they, and it's not like, oh, it's not like a baby orange or anything. They earned that learning that form. Now they have, you know, two more stripes or three more stripes, depending uh-huh. on, on on their stripe rank, to to uh, socialize their skill and to improve their skills, to memorize the movement, you know, rather than just follow. Because I've got, I have a lot of kids that can follow really good. It's awesome at following, but they can't put the moves together by themselves. Um, they've got all the time, you know, and, you know, if they fail it, I don't, I don't necessarily say that they fail. I say that we're going to have to try in another three months for the next stripe, you know. Usually, it usually happens that any, any of uh, my needs actually fail. You know, usually they go, Usually I'll think, oh, you know, I think he might be ready for yellow, right? And then they just choke. We all choke, right? They we all choke, and, absolutely. We all choke, and uh, even after a repeated chances at a form or to redo a self-defense or whatever, um, if they don't make it, then at least have that next stripe. So, you know, they come up to get now, to get promoted. We, we, Oh, go ahead. With the striping, do you change the curriculum? If let's say they're going for a next stripe, is the curriculum different, or is it the same? Just their ability to 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 do the technique may have changed. The well, the curriculum is the same. It's uh, it's just the requirements are broken up. That's what I thought. Four, 
it's going to for our little kids are testing for orange, uh, for yellow belt, right? Kids actually start at white belt rather than testing for it. Where the adults, they have to earn their white belt. But um, the kids start at white and they stripe through that. And once you learn your basics, you get a stripe. Your basics is a stripe. Once you have all the kicks and can remember which kick is which, you can understand. When you get all your footwork down, like stand to walk, your forward stance lunging, planted, planted horse to reverse, uh, movement, stuff like that, you get a And then when you learn uh, at least the first eight movements or first form, then you're actually eligible for your first yellow belt. So it's just a straight yellow belt shape on it. That's it. And, um, you know, as they train, they have to earn the rest of the first form. They have to learn the second form. And then they have to learn uh, half, at least half, but you know, the first form of the next rank uh, is more preferable. Then you have to learn the first form of the next rank to be eligible for your orange belt. While you're learning, you know, the, the first form and, and you know, criticizing your skills and stuff like that, you get stripes. And once you get that last bit of the first form, at least eight moves, okay, right test. There you go. So, you know, everyone, everyone learns the same stuff. You know, in, in my little kids' classes, it's just that they, they get promoted uh, when they show an understanding of um, the forms at that point. Because, uh, you know, it's more of like the forms that are um, that make people's rank in a way, right? Um, you know, if they make a mistake you know, going up for their orange belt or what have they make a mistake and they forget a move, but they keep going through the form and they don't stop, don't freak out and stuff like that, I'm still going to promote them because they were able to recognize that they or got a move and just kept going. They didn't, like, pound themselves in the head and go, Damn it! I messed up. Can I start again? They panic. You know, I'll promote them. Now, of course, you know if you hit like brown belt belt and you you're getting moved to your form in every form, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to draw the line with dudes. <laughs> you know, if you're able-bodied and you you're forgetting, then I'm gonna have to like you know draw the line there. But it is it is based on each individual. Um, you know, and uh, for kids with ADD and ADHD, um, the kids I've taught, they've either quote unquote grew out of it, or they learned techniques or classes to to make it manageable. And um, for those of you that teach ADD ADHD kids out there, you know how it works. You know, there has to be a sense of routine that they can get used to. If they get used to that routine and they know what to expect, and you can things in the routine um but you know if you're all over the place then the add adhd kid will thrive as well um but you know what that same kind of teaching you know other non-ad non-adhd kids to thrive as well so there you go matt stone writes in and he writes the test isn't so much the examination um that came during all the class. The test is the pressure cooker. It gives the student an opportunity to say, 
that was the moment at which I changed from that to this. It's an event to mark the passage, but if they, if they weren't ready, the teacher or shouldn't have told them they were. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, um, hey, we got Michael Bowser watching and Robbie B is watching. That's a good point. So how do we get into that part of the discussion here? Have you guys out there watching, you guys heard of instructors telling people that they were ready to test, you know, hey, you're ready, collect their TVs or whatever. No, they're not ready. Let's see some comments. <laughs> Let's see some comments. So, if anyone wants to join the conversation on the phone so you don't have to type, our phone number is three four seven six seven seven zero six nine nine three four seven six seven seven zero six nine nine. So, have you ever uh, seen anyone tell their uh, tell their students they're ready to rank? a test fee or whatever and they weren't ready. And then the test comes and it's obvious they weren't ready. So um, let's go from there. I like the birds in the background, Bob. That's a that's a pretty uh got pretty birds in the background. <laughs> I I was gonna say I thought I was muted. <laughs> I do I have <laughs> lovely birds love to see I'm right behind uh, Warner Brothers ranch right now. It's a beautiful oh, nice. day out here. It was cold this morning for for here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was 50. Oh, that is kind of cool for Burbank in spring. But, yeah. 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 So, you know, the reason why I was like, how do I put this is because, you know, I don't want to bring up the whole McDojo thing again. Um, the mills and stuff like that. But, uh I guess this whole like you know testing people when they aren't ready you know, can indeed go to that. Now you know that I've I've got a different question that kind of is related to that. So you know how every art has its own flavor. You know what I'm talking about, Bob? Every art. Oh, absolutely. Has, yeah, you know how every art has its own flavor and 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 like yeah. that. Um, now. You know, I guess what what my question is to people out there is, for those of you that don't uh, bring people in from other arts to, to, to sit on your testing judging panel, do you do it because other arts won't understand your art to grade fairly? You know, kind of like at tournaments, how like sometimes hard style, hard style people at tournaments will not judge a soft stylist uh, very fairly because they're looking for opposed to, you know, looking for the flavor of the Kung Fu movement or Tai Chi movement or whatever, you know, are, are some people out there um, concerned about that, that other stylists will not understand their art well enough to judge fairly? Um, and uh, I'm curious, have you been to a test where other uh, stylists are sitting on the panel? And that happened where they didn't grade the student, um, you know, as well as they could have because it didn't match 
own art. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a, kind of an interesting thing I'd like to hear from from people. You know, Robbie I was Lee, thinking about that too because it could be something as simple as doing a flip, a split finger strike, and the one artist may say, "Oh, we do it, we 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 do that differently, or we do this, so we do." You know, that's why yeah. we have to throw everything out and judge on the student's ability and listen to what they're being asked. Even if we yeah. have no idea about that art, we should be able to sit on a panel and judge the student based on their ability. Yeah, based on ability, not not the what. Not on our perception. Can, yeah, exactly. Not on what they can because um, sat on a panel where. You know, the battle, um, its forward stances are not 90 degrees, you know, like they would be for Wu and, you know, other styles of Kung Fu or whatever. They're not 90 degrees. And I knew that. You know, you know I knew that some people, some judges out there, will, oh, you know, it's not a 90 degree forward stance. I'm, I'm going to mark it down. And then I'm like, you know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, Rusty, on the, on the other hand, could we, as judges or as as panel members, judge them unfairly the other way based on their ability? And we think they're, they look phenomenal, and yet mm-hmm. the head instructor, like yourself, is going, yeah, but they didn't do this right or they didn't do that right, and we didn't see it because we yeah. don't know. So we're judging them with a higher score than you are. Yeah. You know, I, I, think, I think it is possible just like to be in tournaments um you know, personally i tend to judge my students at tournaments um you know very strict you know so for example if it, you know if um if a judge you know gives somebody like i don't know a 6.8 something just say you know i might give a 6.5 you know only only because well, i've seen that form little better than they, so I'm going to have to judge it how you did it today, that kind of thing, um, um, you know, and then uh, people are like, why is she, why is she like giving no 6.5, what's going on, well, that's just based on what I see, um, you know, and for me personally, I don't want to give high of a score because, you know, I don't want their ego to get involved, right, um, but I right. have to be fair. If they did phenomenal, then I'll score squarely. If they, you know, a little poorly, then I will score the way that I see it. But I do think it's possible, Bob. That's interesting that the that the other judges will score a test higher than the instructor. But you know, at that point, I think the instructor should realize that you know the other instructors are not biased. You know, I mean, why did they bring him in in the first place, right? right. I mean, they non-biased eyes watching. So, you know, in those cases where I bring in other instructors, I have an assessment post and, and not necessarily leave it up to them, you know, but to, to get their views on how they saw this. They said, oh, my gosh, that's great. You know, I have to take their art into consideration and, and stuff like that and their ability to understand other martial arts. And if they say great, then I'll be like, okay, I might have seen it, but okay. You know, 
they they met the requirements, not the way I want to see them, but they met the requirements for a particular ring. Um, Robbie Lee writes in and he says, well, my experience usually is it's just more confidence to the student at the same time, other instructor from other schools, uh, I got to read this a little different because not, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm putting punctuation there correctly. But my experience usually, it's more confidence to the students in the same time, other instructors from other schools, maybe not the same art, also being learned being learned what to look for if I say competition or tournament, what to look for for experience and training. Yeah. Heidi Lowe is Lowe is watching. Hi Heidi. Um and Robbie Owen writes, No, it's experienced for years and many schools I uh I've done seminars um of a similar topic. Every student or senior Always has been notified, and what the and what the guidelines and qualifications of eligibility are to be able to meet the standard before the test. There is a pre-test done before the actual test, like uh, maybe a month later. That's why you know through Kelso you would know from the and well your attractor if you well deserve. But like I case by case is different. Voice to text, I know. <laughs> anyway, Heidi. <laughs> um, let's see here. Anybody? Now, I'm curious, for those of you watching, on an average, how long does it take to get a black belt at your school? So just type some years over there and what, what art you do. So just curious, on an average, how long does it take to get a black belt? Um, at my school, it takes anywhere between five to seven years. It just depends on the individual. Sometimes between five and ten, because you get people that like leave and come back. One of my guys, gosh, it took him almost like 17 years to get his black belt because he left and came back, left and came back, left and came back. You know, yeah. Um, Eric Dutra writes in, if your non-bias is consistent, the score is all relative. You're scoring based on your point of view consistently. If you score an 8 for a stance on one and 8.5 for one that you think is a better stance, it's consistent with your judgment, aside from what the head instructor is looking for. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like in tournaments. Um, and that's exactly how Eric uh, uh, described it. Um, Bernard writes in, when I was involved in judo at brown belt level going for first dawn, we were on a point system. You required 100 points plus a pass in terminology to get promoted. You win a contest. Um, more. You win a contest, you get 10 points. In two contests, you took a lineup of three judoka. Beat all three and you made it. <laughs> John Lupo writes, I would think it would take longer than five years to get the black belt. Yep. That's about it. Now, you know, again, there are exceptions to the rule. I've seen people get their black belt in three. I've seen people get their black belt in one year. And it wasn't a McMinjo black belt. It was earned. You know, and it just depends on the individual. Now, there's one individual that got his black belt in a year. It was every day. 
this kid was every day. When I say kid, I don't mean like little kid. I mean like, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, you know, that kind of thing. Every day he was at the dojo. Every freaking day. He got out of school and, and the dojo was the first place he came to. And this was one of my students. Um, the dojo was the first place he went to. And he didn't go home until like 10. So he'd spend like five hours at the studio. And um, the first get there, and a lot of times he would, you know, help me train. We would jog in together. Um, and, uh, you know, we would do forms together. I, you know, give him private lessons. And he was just a, he was a quick study, but not like, you know, but not quick. You know what I mean? I mean, he had to earn, um, he had to earn some of the knowledge because there were a lot of things that he just didn't get. And he just kept practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. And the boy was seven days a week, seven days a week. Now, on an average, people come to class, what, twice, three times a week? Or maybe, right? Three if you stay for two classes. Um, you know, some people, you know, can get their black belt in a year and earn it. There are exceptions to the rule. Um Let's see. Bye, Janie. Janie's going to bow out. Uh, Eric Dutra says six to eight years, depending on individual commitment. John Lupo said, actually, I should mention that during my search, there was one school I looked into that gave you one chance to get your black, and that was it. What? What? They gave you one chance to get your black belt. And what happens if you fail? That's it? Like that's all you don't get to see again. Wow. <laughs> wow. Tom goes every freaking day. John goes. I would think it would take a lot of people to cry bull on someone getting their black belt in a year, no matter how talented that person was. I agree. A lot of people would say, "Oh, that's bullshit. They can't get their black belt in a year." That kind of thing. But, 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 but let's look at the service that uh, got their black belts and came over here, right? I mean, Chuck Norris, right? He, you know, I think he got his black belt within a year. Um, uh, Joe Lewis got his black belt within a year, you know, and, you know, we're talking, you know, people that uh, are, you know, some of the greatest names martial arts history they didn't get their they got their black belt in a year in the in the service like out in korea or in okinawa or japan or whatever and are people gonna like say oh well bullshit on them you know probably not probably not um because you know i'm guessing back then in the 60s and stuff like that you know if you knew your stuff and you were able to teach it well then you were a teacher but i think and you know you can. Uh, I'd like to hear uh, Bob's take on this. I think nowadays people put too big of a too big of a value on the first black belt, the shodan, the first black belt. They're like, oh, I should take you like, you know, ten years, you know, to get your black belt and blah, 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 you know that kind of thing. And I think people are putting too much of a value on uh, first degree black belt shodan. And, uh, you know, someone gets their black belt in a year, kind of, like, turns their world upside down on, on how, like, you know, on a pedestal this rank is. 
you know, I mean, in, in a lot of places, even in Japan, you get shodan, first don, first degree black belt about a year. It, you're still a peon. You're not a master or anything like that. You are a peon, you know, low-ranking black belt. But can you get your black belt in a, in a year in style? In Japan, yes, you can. Um, and, you know, are people going to, like, poo them? Um, so what are, your, what, what are your thoughts on that, Bob? Getting, you know, black belt in a year, no matter how talented they are, we'll cry and bullshit on it. Well, you know, if they're that talented and they're there every year or every day for several hours, not one class, if they're there and they're helping the instructor and they're doing privates and they're talented enough and can prove themselves, why not? Yeah. Robbie wrote in Mike Stone. Mike Stone got his black belt within a year? Was it? I'm not familiar with Mike Stone's um, uh, lineage or Ron. I mean, I know who he is. I know who he is. You know, the 70s and 80s, it's just I don't know where she got those. Um, well, let's find out. That's the internet for her. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mike Stone Karate. <clears throat> let's see. Yeah, he was, uh, he was one of the names when I was growing up. Um, he began studying Shorin Ryu Karate, earning his black belt in only six months under Herbert Peters while stationed at Port Chaffee in Arkansas. Well known for his karate tournament success in the 60s, Stone was known for his aggressiveness, earning the nickname The Animal, and would amass a, ra- a record of 91 consecutive wins. So there you go. Uh, six months, folks. Six months. And nobody, you know, would, would challenge him on that. Um, so there you go. Shorin Ryu. Now, John Lupo writes, if the black belt really meant you were a master or anything like that, then those guys in fits of fury would have lasted a lot longer against Bruce Lee. <laughs> thoughts on that you know um but what are you guys what are your guys thoughts out there about uh people that get black belt within a year i'm just you know um i mean it we're kind of veering off of the test requirement type of thing but uh, here's the thing though if uh, the test requirements are met does someone have to go through, like, let's just say three years. Let's just say three years on an average. Does someone have to go through that three years, even if they attend classes every day, practice on any free time that they have, you know, stuff like that? You know, does that make that black belt skill any less or not? I'm interested in, in hearing what you guys have to, hearing what you guys have to say out there. So... Yeah, why not? Anyway, our phone number here, if you guys want to talk to us, is 347-677-0699. So let's see here. Okay, let's let's talk about black belt tests since we're talking about that. So, you know, 
I know I've gone through grueling tests. I know Bob's gone through grueling tests. Many people have gone through grueling black belt tests. But does your test have to be something that that sounds like it should be a coming of age movie? You know, like a Native American, you have to go out into the woods and you know, uh, and you know, survive on your own for four days and you know, do your vision quest and stuff like that. Does it have, does it have to be anything like that? Does it have to be grueling physical effort, or is it more of a mental one? And and or do you think that people that don't injure themselves at a test are less than or, 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 or wimpy than other people that break their arm during a black belt test? Let's hear from you guys. <laughs> Let's hear from you guys. Um, uh, let's see here. Tom, Tom Dwyer writes in. I love you, Tom. Tom Dwyer writes in. And he says, I could listen to Rosita talk about any subject. Right hit the like and love buttons, then hit share. There you go. If you like what you're hearing, folks, what me and Bob are talking about, if you like the subject, if you like the show, go ahead and hit the like button, hit the loves button, love buttons. That didn't sound right. <laughs> hit those like buttons, folks. Hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them. Let's see some stuff going across the stream here. And share. You know, like I said earlier, Bob and I would love to see this sense of community go all around the world. We already have people from the UK watching. We've had people from, um, I think we had somebody from Germany watching at one, uh, one time. We, we want to get that. We want to get this all the way around. So anyway, hit those share buttons, folks. Full rights. Unless you attend one of those schools where all the students advance as a unit rather than individuals. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, I, I hear you. That, but that's no fun if everyone gets their orange belt at the same time. If everyone gets their, you know, purple belt at the same time, then all of a sudden you've got like a bunch of black belts at the end of like, you know, three, five, eight years and no color ranks <laughs> or whatever. Well, I guess you do. You just end up with a, you know, a, a whole shit ton of black belts all at once. Um, Bernard Witcher says, don't know what year I started. I started 1950 and he's still hacking away. There you go. We've got some likes. We got some. We got some love. That's awesome. And Tom goes, break their arms. <laughs> um, John Lupo writes. I guess you could imagine that some Western martial arts instructors would conduct a black belt test as they interpret it should be done in the country of origin. Ooh, that's a good point. You know, maybe. Do you think that? You know, people out here in America are doing tests the way that they think it should be done in China or Japan or Philippines or Indonesia or something like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I look at it this way, you know, um, and this could, you know, end up with, you know, a can of worms. But unless you've been taught by, you know, a Japanese or Okinawan person in karate or whatever, and actually have traveled to Japan or Okinawa or where have you to, you know, a case of like, you know, in my case, Tai Chi, you know, unless you've traveled to China, you know, see how things are done there and to see how testing is right there in that country of origin, you know, can you really say that you're doing, conducting a test in the way that it's done in the country of origin? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are we just guessing, trying to see um, how exotic we can make it 
for our own school. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you think about Bob? Where'd Bob you know, Bob? I've oh, been ta- I've been taught by. I don't think I've ever been taught by a uh, an instructor that actually learned from the country of origin. He's been taught by people who have learned from the country of origin. I think, especially when you're dealing with uh, Caucasians, think anything's taught from the country of origin. You know what I mean? That it's right. watered down for the general public, and I think that's how testing is as well. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, John writes because um, he's he's uh, uh, kind of adding on to his previous comment. He goes, you know, you hear about someone saying how martial arts in America is inferior to a martial artist from Europe or Asia. Um, yeah, I've heard I've heard some people say that. Um, it's funny, though, because the people that I've heard say that, that, oh, you know, martial arts in America is inferior to you know, martial artists in Europe or Asia have never been to Europe or Asia. <laughs> you know, I, I read comments from people, you know, yes, I, you know, I get on YouTube for entertainment. I read comments and people are like, talking like they're experts, but they, you know, but they'll admit that they've never been out of the country. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, then, you know, they're just basing their, their opinion on what they see on YouTube. Which is, you know, unfortunate. But um, anyway, we have a five minutes to our broadcast. I don't know where all the time went. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, I know where the time went. Now, out there, do you guys charge a fee for testing at your dojo? And if so, what elements justify your fee? And it's you know, it's okay if you do or you don't. It doesn't matter. I'm just curious if you guys uh, charge a charge a fee. Um. And what are your thoughts about frequent testing? Like, you know, some schools will test once a month. And, you know, I get it, you know, for one month. If you have stripes and you have kids, okay, once a month if they earn this, this, and this, and this, and this. And it's a legitimate earning of this, and this, and this, and this. That's you know, what I do. But I only test, like, every two months or every three months. And then I base the stripes based on what they, what they know rather than, you know, sequential. So, you know, if someone got their first stripe on their white belt and they learned within that three months and they learned all the requirements for yellow belt, I'm not going to give them just another stripe on their white belt, right? If it's three, three or four months in between, I'm going to, I'm going to test them for yellow belt. So anyway, I'm just kind of curious as to what you guys do. Um, John writes, uh, honestly, I believe every student is different, learns differently, has different physical needs, may need more encouragement, or need you to be tough on them. A good instructor knows how to bring that person to that level. That's right. Eric Dutra says, you know, I really don't think it's uh, inferior, um, just different. The you know the as far as uh, people who uh, don't need or what have you. I think that's the question he's answering. Matt Stone says, having served in the Army and having seen what martial arts classes are like on military bases overseas, Korea and Japan alike, at least while I was stationed there in Korea between 1989 and 1990 and 2005 to 2006, Japan, um, let's see here, Japan between 1999 and 2002, 
what the military allows to be taught on post is usually not what what civilians get told. Former military former military personnel that become martial arts teachers like to pump up how tough their training might have been, but it's seldom quite what they claim it was. <laughs> Cecil Peoples is watching. Hi, Cecil. Eric Dutra, right? Tests, tests happen whenever, since they think someone is ready. No set time. All individual. Good. Very good. You know, we are out of time. Whatever. And we're going to go like a minute over time. Whatever. Um, but, uh, I want to get some, I want to get some, uh, thoughts on bomb, this whole subject as a whole about testing, about, um, requirements and, and the gruelingness of it. I just made a new word, Bob. So <laughs> you did. <laughs> I did. What are your thoughts on it? <clears throat> oh, I love this subject. I want to know what, what, you know, what everybody's thinking of the different test requirements and how they take it to the next level and, and right. about bringing in other instructors from other styles on board reviews and so forth. I think this is a subject I don't think we've ever, maybe we've ever, we've just touched on it, but never had a whole show dedicated to it. And it was great. It was a great discussion. I, you know, I love this discussion because, you know, it's, uh, you know, the martial arts is, is, is always, you know, going through phases of renaissance, right? I mean, you know, when MMA came in, it like completely blew the, whoops, completely blew the lid out of the water and, in the martial arts, you know, some for a good way, some in a, you know, some in a bad way. You had traditionalists going, oh my God, they're not learning, you know, they're not learning everything of one art, you know, blah, 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 master, jack of all trades, master, none. And then, you know, and then on the other hand, you had some MMA players going, Psh, you know, that traditional shit ain't going to work and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that was part of the Renaissance. And I think I can almost feel, you know, a Renaissance coming along. Um, I don't know where it's going. Because MMA has been around long enough to be, you know, kind of like, to, to kind of be a household word. You know what I mean? Um, so, right. you know, feel a lot more practitioners out there, you know, bringing their own methods to light and bringing new, fresh ideas and, and philosophies, stuff like that. You know, like Jeff Jeds is one of them. He's got the Jedokan martial arts. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, and this type of Renaissance is what I feel allows martial arts to grow and allows it to evolve. Now I'm an old school person through and through, you know, I, I love traditional karate. I love the Koryu Bujutsu. I love, you know, Aikido. I love, you know, you know, old school Jiu-Jitsu. Judo, you know, I love learning about all that kind of stuff. But on the same scale, is you know, I guess the question is, is there a way to evolve, you know, the attitudes of, you know, traditionalist versus, uh, you know, modern, um, without, without sacrificing the benefits of tradition. Oh, that might be another show. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are we're going to be signing out here in a second. I just want to uh, put a shout out out there to Bernard. He's uh, boy, that's loud. Um, he's like, I need food. I've been here for two thousand hours. 
been most interesting. Wish everyone a very good night. Good night, Bob. Good night, Rusty. Good night, Bernard. John Lupo writes, the military would probably train you with the moves they know would work uh, the best for a combat situation. Eric Dutra writes, you're all awesome. I learned so much from everyone from the show. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, and by the way, Eric, I started the... I started... Um, that project. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Brian Sager is watching. Sorry you came late, buddy. Sorry, Brian. We're just signing off right now. John writes, one of the first things for me is the fact that I have pretty much I have pretty much a dead set focus on learning how to practice. Most people can brush it aside and say, you should do this or you should do that. No, 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 no. Don't listen to anyone, John. Do what you want. You do what goes to the boat. You know, everyone gets attracted to certain martial arts and martial arts in general for different reasons. So, you know, for someone that says you should do MMA, it's such a ring. Do what you want. Because, you know, why they joined is not the reason why you should join martial arts. So, Tom goes, no! It's over. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Hit those likes. Share this video because it's going to be recorded for posterity. So um, next weekend, there will not be a regular show because Bob and I are going to be at the Martial Arts History Museum Telethon in Burbank, California. So all day Saturday, all day Sunday, next weekend, look on my page, look on the Dynamic Dojo Facebook page and Robert Fields page for live coverage of the Martial Arts History Museum Telethon. We're going to have all sorts of great guests, of interviews, and and entertainment. You guys are going to have a great time. Spend the weekend with us. Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. I'm Rusty. And that's and I'm Bob. And this is Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio. We're out of here. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. I think. Let's just do one more of these uh, outro musics. Why not? Actually, you know what? Let's do a different a different song out of here. See if I can find one. What's this? Dumbass! <laughs> I, it just says DMB. So I looked at that as drum and bass. No? <laughs> that is not. <laughs> that is not drum and bass. Holy crap. Oh, that was hilarious. All right. Well, we're going to do the outro again. <laughs> outro. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Hilarious. Oh, God. Bye, everybody.